Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly, and joined with me today, of course, is Serge Boudreau. Serge, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you feeling? Do you still like me? Last week was a little bit rough on that episode. We agreed. Yeah. We disagreed a little bit. Yeah. You know, I've had, friend, right? I've had, a, I've actually had a few um, counselors reach out to me to see if they could offer their services. Um, I know I'm going to, I'll send you the bill because I'm definitely yes. going to need psychological help after last week's episode. Well, we're still best friends, so stop whining. Uh, oh, I put okay. you in your place. You deserve it. So let's just go from there. Yeah. And talking about really close friends, yes, we have probably we like two of my favorite guests that we've had on the recruitment absolutely from day one. Certainly the best. And they're looking. actually in the same city. <laughs> yeah, they're extremely good looking. So <laughs> yes. we'll we'll give them that. Well, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's give them that. You they're can't tell. Well, face for radio or face for podcasts, right? Exactly. (laughs) They're definitely very intelligent, which is the reason we want to bring them on the show. Uh, So we'll put their looks aside. So I'm going to introduce, first of all, I'll start with Elena Valentine. Elena was the first guest that ever made Shelly cry. Her insights and her last episodes was magnificent. So thank you so much for coming back on, Elena. I hope we didn't scare you away. You're a new American friend. Uh, We're glad to be your Canadian friend. And I'm going to introduce James. James Ellis should not be a mystery to anyone. I think he's everywhere now. Like I can't get rid of him. Every podcast, every every news article I read, James is is involved in employment branding. So James, he's an Ellis, open book, James. even when you want to close it. <laughs> exactly. He's the self-described employer brand nerd. He's the author of Talent Chooses You. So you, if you still haven't read that book, you need to read it. I think Shelly has yeah. read it four times. Yes. Uh, I've only read and it And I gave twice. it away to my 10 of my closest friends. Seriously. Yes. I bought 10 copies and I had them and beautifully packaged up with, you know, my company logo and a, and a personal note to all of my, my 10 most favorite people got the book. So, um, Yes, making believers out of our talent acquisition mm-hmm. folks here in Canada. So. And you do need to check out this podcast, the Talent Cast. Do look on it; it's on every major podcatcher. Mm-hmm. So, James Ellis, welcome. Hello. I cannot follow that, so I guess goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> nice having you. It's been it's been a joy. Thanks so much. Got to go. Bye. How about we start with this one? So you guys have known each other for how long? Tell me the story. I'm going to ask Elena because I think her story will be more accurate than yours, James. So Elena, what's the connection between both of you? So I will first start with the ending of that meeting, which was the first time I met James. When I walked up to him, the first thing I said was that you are my spirit animal, (laughs) my employer brand spirit animal. And I want to grab coffee. This is true. We're back in Chicago and I'm following you on Twitter now. The best part was was, this was an event in San Francisco that we both flew to. I think there were more speakers than audience members. Um, And I kind of went, well, screw it. I'm just going to leave it out. It's on the floor. Just, I I think I would 
my most crazy, my most ranting, my most manic. And I think everybody took, did a whole like lean back as he's like, he's not kidding. He's, he just keeps going. He did a whole, I did a whole hour like that. And she just walked right up to me and said that I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. But yes, we got coffee and tacos and many other things. And we have been besties since then. How long has it been? Three years now? Something like that. That sounds right. Well, fairly recent. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I, I, I will have to say, and he's going to, he's going to. Don't you know, do it whatever, to me. Get all it. awkward like a squid. Um, but he really is, you know, for me, I consider him part of my my brain trust. When I have creative blocks in my work or in just stories, he's one of the first people I go to because I know that he'll give me an unabashed both commentary feedback and also be an advocate and cheerleader at the same time. So I would say at least I, w- I would say we're we're we've been hitting a good once a month, I would say, for oh, some yeah. time of just yeah getting together to shoot the shit in our industry um, and just kind of like push for new ideas. So he definitely yeah. is just on a personal level, just part of the, the brain trust that helps to inspire me. As if you're not my own personal mastermind group. Yeah. There you go. James, how does Elena inspire you? Uh, it, oh man, there's, you do not have enough time. There's not enough uh, hard drive space in, in Zoom's architecture to hold this kind of conversation. Um, Here's the deal. Elena is the fearless person I most of the time I try to be. Uh, and it's, it's tough because, I mean, she owns her own business. She runs her own business. She founded it with someone. These are things that I have not really figured out. And I've tried some of them sort of, kind of, and not been particularly successful at them. And she is rocking it. And, and being able to see inside the, the mechanics of how a business like hers works, how it runs, how it grows, the challenges is, is absolutely fascinating. But ultimately... I think the only value I really bring is that I get to ask dumb questions and because ultimately all I want to do is be a client. So I want to make sure her business is killing it. So when I finally have some money to spend, she's ready to, to take the money and, and do amazing things with it. You know, I, I just realized I forgot in the, in the intro and I apologize, Elena. Oh yeah. Let's talk about Skill Scout. You did not yeah. name drop Skill Scout enough. Skill no, Scout let, is- let's talk about it. So Elena, can you, so you're the CEO and co-founder of Skill Scout. Can you, last episode, we didn't really go into it. And I want to take the opportunity here because I, I love what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about SkillScout? Like what, what you do at SkillScout and what the mission of the company is? Our mission at SkillScout is we exist to capture the humanity of work through stories that matter. Love it. Everyone has a story of work and why it's meaningful. And we see it as our roles as workplace documentarians to capture those stories with humility, reverence, and respect. So that the most, is our mission. She tells the most amazing love letters about work. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen the video because I've seen your, uh, um, it's, it's impressive in that end. So let's, let's get into a couple of topics. It's, it's not very often that I have the experts of the experts. So one nerd, one brilliant uh, person. So, and you can decide who's who on that end. Ah! Um, so, James, I actually read your newsletter every week. Believe Isn't it or not. Isn't it? It's amazing. I have, it is by the so way, James, good. I so say, entertaining. I have a Gmail label that says James Ellis newsletter so that I can keep all of them because I use them is when I'm kind of thinking through kind of a new presentation or new outlooks or new insights, I go back to old ones because of just the articles. I love it. So mm. everyone else should be definitely joining that newsletter. And I've been, and I've been sending it off to clients and prospective clients who are kind of getting into employer brand. Okay, 
Shameless it's so plug. funny because I, I just sent it to someone yesterday. So same page, but your last newsletter, um, you talked about worker and artist. And I don't think I can describe it in the way, in your words. Can you talk to us what you mean? Yeah, that, what you're that? saying is you don't want to say what I said because what I said was so stupid or crazy that you don't want to put those words in your mouth. No, I think, look, I, 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 I'm a big believer and I've been a big champion. And, Val, and Elaine is the, like the perfect partner to have this conversation. Work is about artistry. And I don't care if you are folding sweaters at the Gap. I don't care if you are a waitress or a hostess or a waiter or whatever, or a line cook. It doesn't matter if you're an electrician. It doesn't matter who you are. You have the opportunity to be an artist in what you do. And when I say artist, um, I, you know, I steal from a lot of different definitions of artists. You know, Brian Eno's is my favorite. It's art is the thing, is, is the human thing that you didn't have to do, right? It's not painting. It's not sculpture. It's adding that spin, adding that love, adding that passion, you know, if for, you know, for Elena's world, can you just take a camera and shoot a video and say, this is what work is? Yes. Does she add love and passion? Yes. Does that make her the artist? Absolutely. That's what it's about. And every job can be an artist. The problem is companies don't know what to do with artists. They're weird. They're temperamental. They're complicated. They're messy. They have the um, emotions. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, and what they want to do is make people into workers and workers are, they do their job. They wait to be told what to do. If they don't know what to do, they sweep the floor, right? And that's what we were all told in our first summer jobs at, at, at various fast food restaurants or where, what have you. You know, if you've got nothing to do, go sweep the floor. You are expected to deliver something on spec. It's not that it was great. It was exactly as expected. So if you're a recruiter, and I'm not going to pick on recruiters, even though I love recruiters and everybody thinks I'm, I like to pick on recruiters. I do. Um, you can do it as an artist or you can do it as a worker. And if you're doing it as a worker, you're saying, I need to put the butt in the seat. I'm going to put the butt in the seat. Is, was it a great hire? I don't know. My job is to put the butt in the seat. The artist cares. The artist tries to think about how do I build relationships? How do I set this person up for success? And every job can be either, and let's be fair, some jobs are both at the same time, depending on the time of day and depending on the project at hand. But the big kind of takeaway from this is workers don't need employer brand. Because what they're doing is being transactional, right? I will give you X amount of time and X amount of work and X amount of effort, and you will give, deliver to me Y amount of salary and benefits. That's it. And I will leave if the next person says for the same amount of work, you get more. It's very transactional. And that's why you have people complaining about, oh, it's all about salary. It's like, yeah, well, if, if you're not expected to put your passion, love, heart, and soul into things, yeah, it is exactly a transactional. If I could buy a sweater at one place for 30 bucks, and I could buy the exact same sweater someplace else for 30, for 25, I'm going to the place that's cheaper. It's a transaction. For artists, it's not about the, the end result. It's not about the prize. It's not about the win. It's not about the salary. Yes, you want to pay for your family stuff, but in the end, you want to achieve something personal and human. Now, the trick, of course, is we're all different humans and we're all driven by different things. And some people want to build things and some people want to create things and some people want, just want freedom. Some people want support. Some people want love. Some people want prestige. There's all these human emotions that we want. And so an employer brand is serviced those ideas. So if you say, let's say your Facebook, just to pick on Facebook, because I love to pick on Facebook, no one goes to Facebook because what they want to do is save the world. Why? Facebook ain't in that business. That is not the job of Facebook. People show up to Facebook because they go looking for where's the big pile of cash, the big cartoon dollar sign on the front, right? That's what they're there for. No one's there for the love. They're there for the money. And that's great. 
And that's great. And the, and the people who work there put in their heart and soul because that's the goal. You, you, you do this great work, you get this kind of money. Is that why they join the Red Cross? Hell no. Is that why they join the post office? Hell no. Is that why they join Picket? What do they get at? And that's what employer brand ultimately is. What are we giving you in return for your passion, love, and heart? You're going to be an artist. We want artists. And that, of course, is the big challenge. We want people who want to be artists. Those are the best we could have. The problem is, while their output, while their value is incredibly high, the cost to manage, the cost to attract, the cost to, to, to work with them is equally high. So is the goal to make transactional workers, as you call them, to be artists? Like, what's your thoughts, Elena, on that sense? Is it possible? Yes. So the way I interpret the monologue that was just <laughs> of workers and artists is that it's just like jazz. First, you got to learn the you got to learn the chords first, mm-hmm. and then you can improvise. And each company has their own special kind of chords, and then you can go through that company just playing the chords. And hopefully what that company allows you to do is to encourage, empower, enable you to do a little improvisation as well, still playing within those chords. So it's not to say that companies can't have guardrails or can't have structure. It's just how much are they willing to support the level of bebop, skadat, dubat, dubida within that chord structure. That to me is, is the artistry. All of us are coming into this business knowing how to play the chords. And it's how much we're willing to get to, to be supportive, how, how much that company is willing to be supportive to allow for that level of a kind of, of, of dance um, in, in scatting, if you will, uh, uh, to that. So yes, do I absolutely believe that, that it's possible for sure. And, and we see businesses that have been built by the creative class. I mean, you look at companies like an Apple versus a Microsoft mm-hmm. and I can, you know, without like a lot of back and forth, people will say, Apple, they're the designers, you know, of the world. They're, they are the artists of the world. And, and primarily, you know, that came from the energy that Steve Jobs brought to this, which was a level of, of artistry, which was a level of really looking to the experience. And when we think about how might we flip the experience of, in this case, connection or, you know, of, you know, our interaction with computers there's a level of artistry that we need to give our employees to think bigger um, and to ideate and do that. So we, we've seen this happen in really, really large companies, um, or at least they started you know, smaller to become the large you know, powerhouses that they are. And we especially have a ton of opportunity for small businesses to do this because we're so much more malleable. Mm-hmm. So short answer is yes. Well, I, I, and I'm curious to see if, employees actually want to be artists. Maybe it's a cynical side in me that thinking that a lot of people, that's not what they really care about. It's basically coming in and working and doing this, whatever is needed at spec, and they want to go home and not care about the in-between. And in certain situations, that's okay, when reality is not what drives business results, it's really the artist. Like James, you were chiming in. Yeah, beyond that, I think if, if you can 
turn a role into something that can be specified. If they can say, okay, there's these steps, you take these steps, it should be look exactly like this. Well, guess what? You've just described a software program and congratulations, that role is going bye-bye. Literally, I went to Product Hunt today and there's a software package that uses AI to say, how do I write better marketing subject lines. And this is a place where we all think marketers are artists and they're coming up with, uh-uh, suddenly even the art is becoming commoditized and becoming workerized. And if you can turn it into work, you can turn the software and it's gone. There will only be artists left. And so it's about- And there's a movement for this, James, right? You know, there's, there's a whole book and a whole movement called the creative class. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be the creative class that's going to maintain, innovate, and be around regardless of how much AI and, you know, technology is being thrown at us. So, uh, you know, we should be sharing that in the resource notes that, you know, what James is, you know, elaborating on of the workers or artists, this is a conversation that is very much at play um, when it comes to the future of work. And we don't talk about it enough, you know, it's almost as if it's sexier to talk about automation and like, ooh, Tech, 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 when in reality, uh-uh, actually, you know, the creative class is where it's at. But the problem with having to talk about creative class is that it's super hard to codify and streamline because basically what we're trying to do is streamline how everyone, even in their own guardrails, can be creative and can contribute to the business based on their new ideas and approaches to optimize the work. And that takes a very special kind of culture to do that, certainly driven by leaders who are open to experimentation, who are open to failing forward, who are open to vulnerability. But I'll tell you this, is that we will lose out on the talent game, especially for the generation of Gen Z and certainly James's daughter, who's six years old now. We will be losing out to them if we don't have leaders and we don't have cultures who are leaning into vulnerability, who are leaning into experimentation, who are leaning into failing forward. The core of the word, the root of the word creative is to create. And when you optimize, what you're doing is you're looking backwards. What did we do? How did we do it? Let's A-B test it until we find the optimal way to do the thing we used to be able to do very effective, inefficiently. Now we can do it more efficiently. That software package that comes with with better marketing taglines and subject lines, all it's doing is reading a bajillion marketing lines saying, okay, this one performed a little bit more than this one, so that must be better. But it's the artist who walks in and says, I'm going to come up with a line that is so far out of left field like that for your, your recruiters here listening on the show you probably do, do some outreach i bet you send some emails or some emails here is the subject line you never ever use do not open this email now that would be a crazy thing to write except i guarantee you you're going to get an amazing open rate on that would software come up with that hell no would a person an artist come up with that well if you can think of how you turn that into a conversation if you can spark that engagement spark that relationship that's an amazing that's a creative way of going about it that's what we're talking about we're not talking about art as in paintings and sculpture we're talking about the act of creation that every job every task is an act of creation or it's an act of optimization i don't want to be an optimizer yeah and, and another one that i leave in, and i love just because I, I think it helps with visuals one of my favorite themes of Ratatouille in Pixar is when he says, anyone can cook, right? Anyone can cook. And it's the truth. Yeah. Anyone can cook. We've all have access to the same tools. We've all yeah. got access to some food and some groceries. 
and we can put something together. And I think, but the difference between the anyone can cook and the chefs is the creativity. And yeah. I think that you can really apply that to any role. And I mean any role, a CNC machinist, a production operator. I mean, you think about some of the biggest innovations of companies, and they, they didn't want to admit it then, but they're admitting it a lot more now, that some of the biggest innovations that we've ever had in some of our companies have come from that lowly tech person who was actually doing the work and was just like, hey, this is a better way to make hot dogs. I'm just going to do it because it makes my life easier. I don't know if any of them are going to care, but this is a good product. And then all of a sudden, Vienna Sausage is trying to figure out how, how do we get this right mix? Come to find out it's Al over there who's just been doing it the whole time. So we see this. We see this all the time. And we're just actually, in many ways, thinking about story. We're just not telling that as often so that people within even those organizations or even candidates see that as being an acceptable way for them to show up and for them to share ideas. Yeah, that's the idea is if you have and you're enabling and empowering all these artists in your company, but then you don't listen to them, if you're not open to them, if you're not willing to change based on their hands-on view of how things could be. If you are, and so many companies default to this position where only the C-suiters are the smart ones, everybody else just takes orders and does what they're told. That is a that is a company of software, or it's about to be. It's a company of doers who are just do what they told. When you can say the CNC machine person, what's a better way to do this? What's a, hey, you're making these joins, you're making these cabinets, you're making these things. The one who has a little bit of thought to say, I know that's how to make it. That's where the magic happens. That's, that's where the engineer and the designer comes to the shop floor trying to figure out why this design's not working. And that CNC machinist will tell you, well, mm-hmm. you got to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. That is artistry. Yeah. That is artistry of manufacturing in the making. Pushing hardware to its extreme, pushing, finding new creative ways to getting those things done using the same old tools. That is what creativity and artistry is about. It's not just about painting. It's not just about sculpture. It's not just about an employer brand nerd or a filmmaker. You know, we're not on any, you know, pillars. We're not on any, you know, uh, you know, on any floating cloud of, of creativity. Every single person can and should be creative because, and here's where things get really ugly. And here's where things get really sad. You're all going to get fired at some point and you're going to end up being just like everybody else if you're just a worker, if you are just a cog in somebody else's machine and you have no passion and no creative, if you don't want to spend a little time getting better and thinking about things more creatively, you are toast. And I think that is the big conversation that we are not sort of quite having, but we're seeing and Andrew Yang's stuff about, you know, four-day work weeks and guaranteed incomes and, and all this stuff is leading into this idea that as software gets better and better, it is literally replacing humans, but that's okay. The question is, what do those humans do? And how do you, if you want to be, if you want to be one of the people who is creating, what does that mean to be in the new world of work? So let me ask something here, because you, you kind of touched on a nerve for me, Elena. Um, but I think you kind of also, you know, I want to be really clear and share with the audience, because the the whole notion of storytelling, I know you built your entire organization around it. Um, James, you're fantastic at, at being giving us things that we can really sink our teeth in in terms of stories. You know, like, and, and so I think, you know, recruiters are not naturally maybe as good as storytellers. Um, That's not I, true. But well, so what I heard you going. say, yeah, so what I heard you say was talk to the front line. Ask them. 
Like why, what, you know, what is it that they find so fascinating? What keeps them here every day? And how, how can recruiters um, that don't maybe have a storytelling background or, or, or um, a marketing background, uh, where, where can they start? Like where, where would you recommend that a recruiter start? To, where can we find those juicy stories? And not going to the third floor that's locked, by the way. <laughs> Nobody can go in and talk to the executive. Where can we get yeah. those stories? So I think the one thing I first want to shift is that we need to shift the mindset. Recruiters are absolutely storytellers. They are the first touch point that any candidate will have with that company. They are the gatekeepers oftentimes for the stories and the bridges between candidates and that company. So absolutely, I advocate that every recruiter should see themselves as storytellers because they are doing it all the time without even saying that that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Every day, they are calling upon stories to share of, you know, why you should work here or et cetera, et cetera, or, or why you may not. And, and those are stories. And I have no doubt if they actually did a higher level of reflection of, of, of how they, they start these conversations, they've got a story bank in their head that they may not even know that they're going back to, you know, these three to four stories in response to that pretty common frequently asked question that a candidate has. So I just want to address that as one, that part mm -hmm. of this is very if you're much, a recruiter, if you're a recruiter yes. and you've ever said, you know, that reminds me of something I heard that someone on blah, yes. blah, 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 had a similar situation. Congratulations. You are now officially a storyteller. Here's your card. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. The second part, which feels obvious, but sometimes it's not, is recruiters feeling that their own story is of value and is worth practice for them to own and to uh, kind of share as part of, you know, their conversations with candidates. The thing is, if we are trying to foster a storytelling culture within our organizations and our HR, our people leaders, our employer branding leaders are too afraid to own their story and what makes their heart sing, what makes their heart sing at this company, you're failing here. You have to model this, especially for companies where you don't have a lot of, you know, existing stories or videos so recruiters and, and people leaders very much have to have to know that they have to go first and that ha they have to be comfortable with that and own that. And there's an art and science to how they can kind of own their pitch and, and own their story. And then I think the third, um, and you kind of really touched on it, Shelly, was when, you know, when we think about going to the front lines, the biggest role we play is to be story listeners is how are we fostering and holding space? How are we ensuring that the, we're creating an environment where that employee um, feels comfortable enough to share their story with us? And there's a whole kind of framework and there's activities and there's a whole practice for how, how, you, how you hold space for people, the kinds of questions you ask your pacing, how you set up that conversation. Um, so that's, I would say, are probably the three kind of first steps to doing that. And it, and it very much starts with what the recruiter can do and it's free and you can start tomorrow. You don't even yeah. need to hire me or James. Yeah. Well, I and think I'll, you- Hold on, you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal from Elena because I'm pretty sure I stole this from her previously. Okay. My favorite question is always, when you talk to an employee, 
what's the thing that surprised you about this company? Because I think what that does, it's it's a multifaceted, multi-layer question. Now, now, Lane and I, one day you and I are going to have a, a nice little fight about what a story is. I am now, my current uh, uh, theft is from Seth Godin. I think I sent you this podcast already, but the idea of the story is that there's a creation of tension and there's the slow release of tension, like a sneeze, like a like a, a tease. It's about what's going on here and then make someone be interested and you slowly release that tension in a controlled way. And I think a question like, What's something surprising, that, something that surprised you when you started instantly creates tension? Oh, what could this be? This is a surprise. This person has inside knowledge. They know what's going on. There's a, it's unraveling. It's like a, like a, like a sweater that you've pulled a thread on. It just goes, it's all out of there. But if you can manage it, you can control the release. Okay, well, tell me what surprised you. Why did that surprise you? And by the way, that leads to internal conversations of, well, gosh, why was that surprising? I thought we all recruiters talked about that. Well, I guess they don't. Well, suddenly you have a treasure trove of information about the things you should be talking about, the things you are missing. So I, to me, that I, I love that question. That's Elena's, I'm sure. I am almost certain I stole it from you. That's my favorite. And I stole it from Studs Turkle. Well, there you go. God. We're all we're all standing on the shoulders. Of not God. an original thought in the room. Are you kidding not, me? Not one. Oh not my one. God! I don't believe you. But so, here's here's a real simple one. Okay. Yeah. You're I'm I'm a recruiter, Serge. You're going to be a candidate, right? And, and as we're thinking about sharing stories and and finding opportunities, we're meeting for the first time. Okay, Serge. Serge, first of all, thanks so much for for meeting with me. I love that background behind you. Tell me the story behind. These two photos behind you, Calgary, Stampede, that's fascinating. Say more about that. I'll go through the whole history, but perfect example. Because it's funny because I do that on a day in, day out. No, but I'm actually interested. Please share now with the rest of the group. What's behind? What's the story behind this? This this probably shows a value or a passion of yours. Really good story, too. Well, it, so Calgary Stampede is, is well, we call it the greatest outdoor show in the world. It's basically a rodeo that goes on for 10 days. The whole city gets completely wasted. Uh, you'll see, like, executives of oil and gas firms in their cowboy gear in the middle of the summer puking on the side of the road. It's just that type of party. It's a fantastic party. These posters are actually originally from 1972 and 74, and uh, what happened is I worked next to a marketing company that went out of business and they left like 300 posters when they went bankrupt. So we were just allowed to grab them. These are actually worth some money. I don't know how much, but anyways, it's a little bit of our Calgary culture and history. So that is the story behind it. So anyone listening to it will have the video. You can see these posters. I'll actually share them, but Thanks for asking. And then I can share this amazing story because I'm an employer from Mesquite, Texas, who does rodeos all day long. Like, oh my gosh. And I think, I mean, but that's story listening. Yeah. 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 That's story listening in a virtual space. And that's, those are the things that you want to do with, with your employees, with your colleagues, with this, because now I feel I have this, you know, connection to you. And I'm like, I want to share up this, you know, amazing documentary series on Netflix that follows the lives of um, Brazilian rodeo folks who are some of the best in the world. They're beating out the Canadians and the Americans, right? And, but, but it, and, and I think that's part of it too, is that when we're talking about recruiting stories, both in, in, in building connection and holding space for candidates and, and else, it doesn't have to all be about 
the company, right? I mean, inevitably people are working for people. And so what I'm trying to do as a recruiter, whether that's building a connection with an employee who I want to have their stories being shared with me or yours, is making sure that I'm holding space um, and, and showing genuine curiosity and excitement for the things that you care about and you value. Because then what I, if I'm a really good story listener, I would be able to then kind of talk through, okay, Calgary Stampede, then it gets to what you care about, then it gets to the things that you do at work, and, and then we're talking about work. Also, oh. if I had a dollar for every time Elena said to me, say more about that, ah, I can <laughs> retire now. That is her, that is her magical go-to. I love it. Well, we've been talking about storytelling, but I think there's an interesting story that's happened recently. And if we looked at Sherwin Williams and he, I hope I'm saying it right, Tony Pilsano. Yeah, Pilsano. Yeah. So that's right. I don't know if all our listeners have heard the story, uh, but I think it goes directly into organizations storytelling in that sense. So Tony worked for Sherwin Williams, uh, and is a student works part time Sherwin Williams and became really good at basically creating a large following on TikTok, which uh, he's basically mixing paint uh, and he's doing it in a really creative and fun way in a really cool context of how he's doing it. And then he got fired. He got fired. And I think this is such an interesting conversation in that sense. He got fired for gross misconduct, uh, even though he bought his own paint. So he wasn't stealing from the company. There was nothing nefarious. He was bringing a lot of awareness to the interest of color scheming, how that works. We're talking about, I think the story goes into the first thing of being an artist. This guy is an artist, not only because he works with paint, but he's actually creating something so amazing, so cool. Figured since we have you on the show, James, I'm fascinated to hear what you're going to say about this story and how you react to it. Uh, you're aware of it. I'm oh, yeah, I, I'm very aware of it. 1.5 million, million TikTok followers. This, getting fired is the best thing that ever happened to this dude. He right now has <laughs> hundreds of LinkedIn requests, people literally throwing money at him and job offers to say, look, can you, if you can do that for flipping paint. I mean, paint. And my mother's a, paint, a professional painter, so I know all about how the paint community works. They are... They, they, can't, they, they can't even conceive of what this guy did. It would never have occurred to them. And they are professional artists. So there it is. It's about where you direct your artistic vision. It's where you direct your artistic caring, your passion to say, look, if all I'm going to do is mix these paints, I'm going to find a fun way to do it. And that's, those are the people you want to hire every single day. So this guy has, this is the best thing that's ever happened to him. The question is, is his next job a TikTok job? Is he going to be the person who drives Burger King to, you know, 1.5? Yeah. Oh, well, go. No, he's now kind of the, he's now working for another paint. In Florida. In Florida. Yeah. They offered him. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that actually makes me a little sad. Well, no, guy, it, does me, it does have me think about, I mean, what an amazing ambassador for the paint world. Yeah. And whether that be for like kind of a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Sherwin Williams or a Benjamin Moore. I mean, that, that is, that is how in, in James, I'll have you finish, but for me, there's two themes to this story or just kind of two areas. One is thinking about the medium of TikTok and kind of breaking down when and where that, why that works. And then it is thinking about mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. uh, and how that gels if, or if not with what TikTok is really about and what the vibe of TikTok is. And it's clear Sherwin-Williams 
couldn't get with the vibe of kind of what the TikTok culture um, is and why people go to TikTok. And God bless this amazing Florida paint company who got it and said, not only am I a geek about paint, just like this dude, I get the vibe. I get the vibe of TikTok. I'm all about the vibe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I think that what this also says is, congratulations, Sherwin Williams. You've just defined your employer brand. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> it may have been unintentional. In fact, I'm almost certain it was unintentional, but that is actually what employer brand is. It is, is it the not? expression. It's yeah. the expression of who you are. And and yeah. to say that, you know, and I, as a professional employer brand nerd, I am here to help people. And right now I have a full-time job and I've helped people in the past to manage their employer brands, but I can't put uh, a face on an employer brand that isn't true because the second I do that, it crumbles. It doesn't work. And so Sherwin-Williams has said, hey, look, we don't want those kinds of artists. And you know what? They don't. They don't want those kinds of artists. And that is both a positive and negative. All things are double-edged swords. So on one hand, they are going to attract other paint professionals who are like, yeah, yeah, get those kids out of the way. Get, we're professionals. We do it this way. And for all I know, it might actually serve them on a short-term level. You know you know the story about the, the Old Spice um, model, the, the, what's the guy's name? The, the, uh, be the man your man could smell like or whatever it is. You know, the, the gorgeous black dude, is just, he was the model and he was showing his abs everywhere. That actually hurt hurt Old Spice's sales because short-term it said, wait, what is going on? The change actually affected them, but long-term it actually grew because it said, this is who we're trying to be. And it became the beginning for an entire model of commercials, which is just absolutely wackadoodle for my money. But at the same time, I buy the product. So there you go. They have established who they are and some people are going to like it and some people aren't. I think long-term, this is absolutely going to hurt them. But that's just who they are. And you can't say, it's like if I started breakdancing for you, you wouldn't say, oh, look at that 18-year-old B-boy. No, I'm still 48 years old. I still look like this. I still dance like everybody's granddad. No, I can say all I want, but as you see me in action, you go, that's who that guy is. And that's what Sherwin Williams did. They said, this is who we are, better or worse. Well, I think you described it. And it's a really good perspective that you put in as far as it is who they are. And they're not putting a false image out there that they would encourage this behavior. Not that it's a bad, I think. I don't know. I don't think they, I don't think they anticipated or expected the level of public backlash that they would be getting. I think that if this was probably a decision and an alarm by probably some pretty traditional marketing and branding and compliance watchdogs. Control driven marketers. From within Sherwin-Williams. Um, which means that their employer brand is probably pretty tightly held yeah. among key leaders where yeah. things are likely probably pretty scripted. So uh, they, they, are, they are fighting for a particular narrative. What? Yeah. You, sorry, do you think marketing was even aware that this happened? No, it, it, I heard, I actually heard him being interviewed and uh, Tony said that the, they were, he was investigated by their risk and loss. Yeah, dude. they're legal. Yeah, they're compliance. Yeah. So it's legal and compliance. I don't think, um, like, it certainly looks from the outside that this was purely, um, I think they, there was even, he was investigated to make sure he wasn't stealing the paint. Like, can you imagine? But then again, no one says compliance and artistry in the same breath ever in their life. Lawyers occasionally, but compliance never. And honestly, I think if you're yeah. Sherwin-Williams and you're in this position, who are the people who buy from you? It's not kids. It's not people on TikTok. It is contractors. It is designers. 
And that's like 90% of their sales right there. So to them saying that some kid got 1.5 million TikTok followers, to them, it's like saying, hey, congratulations, I've collected 40,000 doll hairs. Well, that's but great, I guess. But what, what's that? Who works in the paint store? It's, it's people his age. It's is it? Is it? Last time I go to a paint store, it's the grumpy old dude who's grizzled, who looks like he just came off a bender. I'm not going to name names or companies, but and then the, the young kid who's actually schlepping the paint in the back warehouse. But it's just a job. These people are not artists. These people are being workers and they're treated like workers and thus they are becoming workers. And like I said, the second somebody else says, I'll offer you a dollar or 15 cents more an hour, they're gone. Yeah. So I'm wondering, can I just ask, uh, even if it's the last question, I don't know. Uh, but here's what I'm dying to know. Uh, maybe because I'm a boomer, you know, Elena, what is the vibe of tip of the TikTok culture? So I'm not, I, I don't get it. Yeah, no, I think the vibe of TikTok culture inevitably is, I mean, one, there is quite frankly, a level of humor, <laughs> a level of realness. Yeah. Um, with, a, you know, with some song and dance. <laughs> Um, with some salacious, you know, with, with a little bit of salacious here and there, that's, that's, that's TikTok, right? You're going to TikTok because you want to be entertained and you want to laugh. Or perhaps, you know, I know that there's some where they've built whole brands just on in, you know, 60 seconds or less, you know, talking about the inequities of the world in little mini bite size, but that's what it is. I mean, you're, you're going there to be entertained to be surprised, um, to laugh. You're not expecting a huge level of production. You are expecting that these are folks um, who are just, you know, they're not being, you know, when they started, they're not initially kind of being paid to kind of influence or push a particular product on you, right? So I think the beauty of TikTok is similar to like kind of what Instagram was before Instagram got inundated with like influencers. Right. (laughs) That all blew up. So That's I think Twitter 12 it, years ago, when it comes to like a Sherwin yeah. Williams, right? Like, so there are some brands that if they wanted to use TikTok, it would lend itself super well because they like Wendy's, what a sense of humor, you know, Wendy's has right on their social media, right? So it's like part of it is looking at the brands that are already kind of leveraging that kind of vibe where they're, they're okay with being a little racy. They're okay with, 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 with humor. They're okay that, that the, this is employee driven. I think mm-hmm, that that was mm-hmm. a big thing too, was that when mm-hmm. you're looking at the Sherwin-Williams example of this guy, um, it takes a level of kind of culture and mindset for the employer brand and business of how much do we lend ourselves to allowing our employees to kind of be a part of how we drive this brand. And so for TikTok, it very much will be, it is user driven, right? Okay. Is individual driven. And so that's what I think when I mean of the vibe um, for right. that. Well, Thank the vibe can be very different for different people as well, based on the algorithm. I know my algorithm on TikTok is very much based on people doing woodworking for 60 seconds of showing how they built something and basically is sped up. Uh, I've seen the same for landscaping. I've seen our, our guest last week was telling about she's learned more about Excel, how to leverage Excel from TikTok than any other tool. So TikTok can be entertainment, and I would say 80% of what I use on TikTok is is for entertainment also, is to create videos with my daughter based on the latest whatever dance trend there is, um, which please never find mine because they're friggin' horrible. Like, um, <laughs> but I think TikTok, like putting that in perspective, 
So I think you mentioned a couple of things about how companies or can leverage TikTok. You, I think you do have to be open to that more racist, maybe not the word I'm looking for, but the more fun side in one way that you're, and you have to be open to employee generated content. This is That's like, the big one. I mean, that, 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 that really is going to be kind of the big kicker is employee generated content. I mean, TikTok is driven by individual people, right? Individual brands themselves, not not an entire company, right? Mm. I think, and and we see all that. We see that even in, in engagement of other social media posts, right? Yeah. And and you know, look, unless you're a Nike of the world with such ridiculous brand recognition that Nike can be Nike for Nike's sake, most of our companies are going to be driven by the faces of their leaders. And that's going to be the vibe. You think about the level of social engagement, even on a LinkedIn, you know, an individual, like my LinkedIn post is going to perform better if I sharing one thing versus if my skill scout company shared the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the same rules apply, yeah. um, but it becomes even ever the more apparent on a, on a platform like TikTok. Yeah, we've all grown up and learned how to smell out marketing and we all know what to do with marketing because we all know we're being sold to. We all know we're being spun and we're all being given the rosiest glasses to ever possibly get for whatever idea or product. But when a human steps up and says it, it's different. It is absolutely and different. TikTok's and TikTok's going to have their day as well. I mean, I think TikTok is going, is going to go through, if not already, going through the same thing that we've kind of cha- been challenged with, with LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, which is, you know, those first early adopters and, and those others just get so hot that inevitably it becomes their full time. And then you do start to question whether or not what they're putting out is authentic. So right now, TikTok is still in this decent enough stage where, where people can kind of see that as, as being kind of the hipness, as being kind of the, the fingers on the pulse of, of our culture, et cetera. But TikTok will definitely, I, I just like everything else, will have its will have its day of reckoning of like, How real is this anymore? And that's a function of the second the social media team builds an ad buying tool for people to buy ads in it. That is what killed Facebook. That is what killed LinkedIn. That is what killed Instagram. That is what killed Snapchat. And that was what will eventually kill TikTok. The second you have to throw money at a thing to make a thing seen, then all sorts of different processes happen. The person cutting that check says, okay, well, if I'm going to write this video, if I'm going to make this video, it has to perform thusly. Therefore, I can't leave it up to chance. I can't just leave it to the whim of this is the fun dance we're doing today just because. Like, no, no, no. Ah, there's money involved here, kids. Yeah. We have to take this seriously. And that just guts it. And that's the problem is that we are having it. We're seeing yet another iteration of the tension between money and control and humanness again. And you can hate, we can take it all the way back. We can spin it all the way. Captain Segway style back to workers versus artistry. Human worker, humans are artists. They're inherently artists. Guy, a six-year-old, she's an artist. When everything, everything she does, everything is art. She, she can't do anything to spec to save her life. And what we do is we get beat up by school to learn what spec is and what rules are and what processes are and how we do things step by step. And then we, and again, I want to blame recruiters for this. Somehow that leads to us building or putting our entire lives into two pieces of paper that we give to companies to say, please give me this job. Please, I promise to follow the rules in exactly the way you tell me to. I follow the rules with my resume. I have followed the rules with this interview, please give me my job so I can follow rules for you. And that is, we are slowly undercutting, but it ultimately leads to the friction between humanness and collective companyness, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Okay. So well, in, in social media, 
is created at one point to make money uh, in reality. The, that's why it's created. So I don't think there's any way to avoid it gets point where it is. And the second it becomes you know, that, the people it made it big flee to the next one. And the yeah. people who are left yeah. over are the people who are there to make commercials. I mean, no, I mean, I have, <laughs> look, I, I, I really enjoy Instagram, but every single day it becomes more the Facebook of the thing I want to avoid. It's become so filled with influencers and commercials for things that I don't want. The algorithm's a mess. Uh, I'm being shown stuff that I, I will never in a million years buy. And I don't want to be there. And if I'm doing it for free and what's the line, if you don't, if you don't know what you're paying for, you're the product, mm-hmm. then I don't want to be the product for that. Okay. So I want to, um, I'm just going to wrap this up and I'm just going to make a one, one last point here, Elena, I made it through this whole episode and I didn't get emotional. So <laughs> I don't know if I maybe guarded myself this time, but, um, you know, it's been fantastic. I think we could probably, um, talk for another hour, but so tell our audience, how do they find you? Where can we find Elena? LinkedIn and Twitter. Wrapped in her house. Skill Scout, it's easy. And Skill Scout. Got it. And that's Elena with an E, everybody. So we'll make sure that's Valentine on the flyer. Valentine like the day. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And James, what about you? We're, well, we don't already know. I, Tell I don't us. know. You know what? The funny thing is, is I haven't done my podcast in three months and I get the, the traffic gets better. I don't understand it. I've, I get like little charts that say, hey, here's how you're performing in like other countries, other charts, and they're all green arrows. I'm like, maybe not saying anything for a while is good for my brand. I don't know. Now, I have a, a weekly newsletter called employerbrand.news. If you just go to employerbrand.news, it's free. It's a thing. And there you go. Um, I steal from all over the place. It's the, the, the goal of it is simply to keep everybody sharp and get introduced to new thoughts and new ideas as they come and talk about the industry as it's shifting and the, what people talk about. So if, if you care about employer brand at all, I invite you to take a look at employerbrand.news. Thank you. Everyone should. But I would advocate that if you care about employer brand and more importantly, if you care about what the future of employer brand could be, that's where James lives. James doesn't live in the present. He really lives in the future of what, of what this field. Agreed. I can't take that. And I'll have to point it back to you and say, look, ultimately the emotion of work is in video. And Elena's the people, Elena and Skillscan are the people who capture it in ways that you simply don't see. There are transactional videos in this world. This ain't it. Skillscout is amazing. Love it. And I want our listeners to leave on one point. I think our first topic, our conversation about being an artist and creator and how that's going to drive the future of work is is so bang on because we talk about in recruitment about automation so much there's a lot of roles that we talk to and, and different presentations me and Shelly have done about these roles are going to be replaced and you see shock in the audience like they don't believe you and I think you guys have put it in perspective that no one else could describe hence the reason I wanted to get both of you on the show at the same time and I, I've given you too many compliments, so I'm going to stop on that end. So, well, I guess I can give you one more. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> so please don't. Please don't. I get, uh, let's just leave it at this in the sense that I get the TikTok vibe. Uh, Shelly doesn't yet. She will very shortly. And I'm pretty sure you guys do as well. So thanks a lot, guys. This was an amazing episode. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks, Serge. Thank you. Oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my.
Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.